Hello, Ray, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for giving of your time and just jumping on here with me. Uh, if you wouldn't mind giving a little bit of history and background as to who you are and what you do for the benefit of the listeners. We have a history together, so I already know you, but they might not. Uh, that would be great. No worries, man. Ben, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on your podcast, uh, having me here, and it's an honor and pleasure um, a little bit about me. Um, I was a, I'm a veteran. Uh, I was in the Air Force for about 12 and a half years. I was a NBC tech, which is a nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare instructor for the Air Force. Um, but before that, I was, you know, I grew up on the East Coast of Florida and kind of the surfer type. Um, not really into education, but it's funny, as I got older, um, I find myself uh, searching for classes to take now. <laughs> um, I'm an instructor. Um, I, 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 I just can't get enough of learning now. Uh, I wish I had that, that desire back then. I probably would have done a lot better in high school. So, um, but now I teach for several, I'm a contract instructor. I teach for several different security firms and also law enforcement agencies. Uh, I'm an ASP trainer in ASP sends me all over the world and we train with uh, different law enforcement agencies all over the world. I'm one of eh, give or take 60, 70 trainers worldwide. So, uh, um, I mean, I don't know what else to, I'm, I kind of don't talk about myself much, but um, I teach, you know, I teach people to be better. So what is ASP for those people that don't know? <clears throat> Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, ASP is Armament Systems and Procedures. They are the leading um, training for baton, handcuffing, and flashlight. They are pretty much the gold standard for law enforcement agencies. Um, and basically what ASP does is they send us around. Dr. Par uh, Parsons is the uh, founder and CEO of ASP. Um, and he sends his trainers all over the world to train instructors from those different uh, law enforcement and police agencies so that they can go back to their respective uh, departments and teach the operator level, the officers, the ground troops, uh, tactical baton, tactical flashlight, and uh, handcuffing techniques. So, and um, I teach a, a multitude of different things, psychological profiling, uh, you know, firearms, pepper spray, uh, all sorts of things for security firms and law enforcement agencies. So we met at the ESS All-in-One where you instructed all of those things for our class. And, That's correct. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I had the pleasure of being pepper sprayed and tased by you. <laughs> uh, that's That's true. Always a fun day. Yeah. That's always fun. Fun times from from my perspective, uh, having gone having gone through that, we all we we all we kind of build a rapport and a friendship through that. Um, ex going through that experience, suffering suffering builds closeness. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, most military guy, most military folks out there. I'm not going to say guys. I use that interchangeably, but uh, most military veterans, we we have that camaraderie because of some of the things that we've actually shared and gone through uh, collectively. So pepper spray, being tased, uh, getting hit with a baton, some of those things just kind of bring us into, we, we have that experience together. So 
Good times. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Um, so ESS is a, a bodyguard firm here in Florida. Um, and I worked for them for a while after going through training with Ray. And when I was putting this, this podcast together, I just thought, you know, he has so many things that he does and he's, he's a pretty cool guy, you know? So, so get him on and, and bring some attention to his company and himself. His company's called 77 alpha. Um, let's go further back down the timeline because you were a competitive skater at one point, right? Yeah. 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 It was actually while, well, I became a skateboarder during high school, you know, I was a surfer. So skateboarding kind of came natural to me and when i joined when i enlisted into the air force my very first assignment i actually um was still my very first assignment was in germany and at rhine mine air base and um so i was still skateboarding at that time so i actually saw europe on a skateboard competing in the 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 contest i my forte was uh, not half pipe, but I did, I did skate half pipe quite a bit while I was in Germany, but mine was street style. So I competed against a lot of, you know, Klaus Gropke, uh, Nicky Guerrero, um, saw a lot of, you know, uh, Tony Hawk would come to Europe in some contests. Um, but at that point, Tony Hawk was just, he was way out of my league. That's for sure. He, I mean, he just, we saw, I met Tony Hawk in um was it jacksonville Econa skate park um and he was like 16 at the time i was still in high school and we sat there and watched him on that concrete half pipe in 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 kona and uh it, we just watched him for about six hours just skating back and forth just with our jaws open you know and um then i got to see him some of the bones brigade you know, Lance Mountain, those guys um, uh, in Germany through some of the contests. They were still icons back then, you know. So uh, basically saw Europe on a skateboard my first two years in the military. So what? how did you go from being a, a pretty high-level competitive skater to I'm going to join the Air Force? How did that happen? Uh, well, my dad was in the Air Force for 20, 22 years. So it was kind of uh, one of those things they were like, well, you're, you're either going to go to college or you're going to go in the military. And so I thought about it and I was like, and, and like I said earlier, I wasn't really into school. You know, I spent four summers in summer school just to pass the last grade that I uh, did not complete. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's, that was my, you know, the, the eight year plan on uh, getting out of high school. So um, it's funny. My mom tells it a little bit differently. She's like, I came home. She told me I came home. I said, Hey, I joined the air force and I went to my room. She's like, you did what? And so apparently I did not tell her I was joining the air force. And so, um, uh, yeah, just kind of followed in my, my dad's footsteps um, and uh, joined the military. First four years in the military, I was a parachute rigger. So I was survival equipment. I we we used to make jokes. Um, it's a glorified military seamstress. <laughs> so I I could sew the heck out of some uh, military uniforms, but um, you know we we basically repaired life rafts, flight suits, all the all your your evac slides, everything 
safety and survival uh, that the pilots needed in their aircraft and so forth. And um, I, I quickly picked that up um, and got bored. So after my first four years, I actually cross-trained into nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare. And that was a little bit more exciting because it sent me over to Saudi Arabia during the Gulf War, Desert Storm, Desert Shield. So when I, after the Gulf War, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, they had the VSISP, the Voluntary Separation Incentive. And so they, they were trying to get the higher echelon folks to get out so that the lower echelon could move up. Well, it kind of backfired on them and all of the higher ones dug their heels in. And so lowly E4s like me were never going to make E5, E6, and so on. So I could have made up 100%. I could have scored 100 on both tests and still not made uh, E5. So I had a choice to make. They, uh, they said, well, if you, if, if you stay in, you're going to get booted anyway with nothing. But if you, if you voluntarily, voluntarily separate, we'll give you a $25,000 check. And I was like, well, uh, my name is spelled R-A-Y-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, make the check out to, you know, so I was on my way out. The ironic part about that whole deal is when I did separate you know, I had like three months of leave saved up. So, um, you know, I was still drawing a paycheck for three months. And so I joined the full-time reserves and full-time reserves is where I'm Monday through Friday. I'm basically doing my military job in civilian clothes and uh, a week in a month, I put a uniform on. So as soon as I stepped foot at Patterson Air Force Base, Colorado Springs, they handed me E5 stripes. And I went, what are you guys doing? And they go, well, we just, you just made rank. And I'm like, if you guys did that a month ago, I'd still be active duty. And they're like, yep, that's how it rolls. So, uh, wow. You know? Yeah. And then, so what was the career path from there to trainer of security professionals and bodyguards the world over? How did that happen? Um, so once I got back from Saudi Arabia, um, I, you know, I had already decided I was going to get out because of the VSI. And so I, I moved back to my parent, my mom's in Colorado Springs. And I stayed with her for a few months, kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do. Well, I spent, I ended up spending the next 10 years looking for a job like the military. And um, it's just not out there in the civilian world, the camaraderie just the, the structure and so forth. So um, that was when I decided, you know what, I'm just going to start my own business. And, and I started, I, I basically started as an NRA basic pistol instructor. And so I started teaching, you know, concealed weapons permit uh, classes to people. And I, I thought to myself, I said, what does, what is, well, I skipped a little part. I moved back to Florida. So when I moved back to Florida, that's where I became the firearms instructor. And I thought to myself, what does security require security officers, armed security officers to know about firearms? Now, me being an instructor in the military, I naturally draw, to, when I take a class, I'm looking for instructor level courses. Um, because if, I, if I'm going to, if I'm going to learn it, I want to teach it. So I want to know everything there is to know about it. And so I started out with the NRA basic pistol. I, I actually needed to get my D and G in order to find out uh, what 
security officers are required to know about firearms. So I went to a school called uh, S2 Institute um, in Largo, Florida, and um, I got my D&G and they ended up hiring me because of my background, me being military and um, I guess my persona. And uh, I ended up doing security with them for a little bit. And that's when I decided, you know what, I need to do my own thing. And I started getting certifications after certifications and certifications after certifications. And um, so I started teaching that um, a, a little bit. And then I got that call from Theo from ESS, Elite Security Services. And they, uh, they said, hey, um, do you want to teach for our school? And I was like, Absolutely. And, um, I ended I ended, you know, with the all in one program that you went through the very same one, I ended up teaching nine of those 15 courses that you guys get, uh, through, through that program, the veterans program. Yeah. I mean, you, you really, you are, you teach the, the bulk of the courses in the program. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. What are the courses that you teach? The, well, the first one is the, of course the, the D the unarmed security, uh, it's 42 hours long. Um, I think you can probably back me up. It's the most exciting course that we teach mm. there. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> brutal. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, death by PowerPoint, death by video, of course. Um, but uh, but I, I will tell your, your, your audience that nobody's ever died in any of my classes. Um, but it's still, it's, we still have a lot of time. So um, then, of course, is your armed, your G class, the armed security course, which is uh, 28 hours. And that's the firearms portion. And I teach a CWP firearm safety course. And um, that's the one where I actually my wife's an attorney and I bring her in and she teaches about almost two thirds of that class about the law here in Florida for your concealed weapons permit. And um, that course is about six hours long. I've added some things to that dry fire methodology for my, for the veterans on how to train at home, how to, how to, you know, hone your skills at home. As we all know, 80% of your precision and accuracy with a firearm comes from dry firing at home, not actually being at the range. So, um, and then of course I teach the ASP program which is your tactical baton. That's a one day course. I teach the handcuff and flashlight, which is a full day course. Um, And I teach the taser course and pepper spray. And um, gosh, whichever one, what are the other psychological Um, profiling? Yep. I teach the psychological profiling course, recognizing violent behavior before it occurs. And, um, and that encompasses, that's the program that I created that I go into churches and I help build the church security teams and help them recognize the nonverbal cues that most of your violent actors will give off, um, before they actually perpetrate a crime. And if you're paying attention, you have that situational awareness and you're paying attention to the body language, the nonverbal cues, the tells, as we say to these individuals, the anomalies that don't fit in to the atmosphere and your surroundings, we can, we can generally thwart a lot of that, that violent action before it actually happens. 
Um, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's really the premise of psychological profiling. One of my favorite courses, you know, like the whole bit about looking for the baseline and then things outside the baseline. And you and I kind of share a passion for that kind of stuff. I've done some stuff with micro expressions and other things for a little bit closer contact, but similar, similar vein of thought, right? Like interpreting people that are just a little bit off and you're, you're, uh, you go, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I should dial up the, the, the threat level a little bit and be prepared because this person just doesn't seem like they're, they're fully right in the head. Um, that's exactly right. So, so I, uh, I, I really enjoyed all your classes, but what, what fascinates me kind of the most about you is you've, you've kind of taken over this, however many year period, you've almost built yourself into a one-stop shop for pretty much all things security. Was that your goal in the beginning or did it just kind of happen naturally over time? Yeah, my, it kind of happened organically because um, my, my desire and my thirst for learning actually increased with every single course that I actually taught. And of course, when, when I, when I started taking these courses, like I said, I took instructor level courses so I could get that certification. So I, I just wanted to know more. But when Theo, he, you know, he, he noticed all of these instructor level certifications that I had. And, and, you know, of course, him starting his school, that's when he brought me in and he just said, hey, you can teach everything you're certified in teaching. And I was like, okay, well, that's this, 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 and this, and this, and I'm also going to get this. And so it kind of happened um, unintentionally, but, uh, but it, when I'm doing something, because I worked security in between all of those, those certifications, so I just wanted to be the best possible security officer or protection agent that I possibly could be and, and that comes with knowledge that comes with, with information. And I created, uh, I created an acronym for that. And it, I, I, the acronym is luck L U C K. And the, the idea behind luck was not to leave anything to luck, especially when it comes to protection, your family, safety, your safety, security, and the acronym stands for learning plus understanding cultivates knowledge. Now, the idea behind learning is we, we can learn everything we want to learn, but if we don't understand it, it's not going to really cultivate much. But once we, we add the understanding behind what it is that we're learning, that's when it cultivates the knowledge. Now, knowledge by itself is not necessarily the end all because we can have all the knowledge in the world and not do anything with it. And it does us no good. But once we apply that knowledge effectively and efficiently, that, that equals wisdom. And now we can start to make these, these sound decisions based on our education, our knowledge and everything that we've learned and possibly shorten that curve for danger basically putting ourselves in a situation and we can make better choices. So to keep ourselves safe, keep family safe, keep our church safe, keep, you know, the general public safe. And, and I've, I've been involved in an active shooter event, although it be rare, 
it's very, very rare that 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 you're going to be involved in an active shooter event. The media doesn't want us to believe that, but the likelihood of you actually being in, involved in an active shooter event is you have the, about the same chances of being struck by lightning. It's really that those are the numbers. Now, depending on our job description, our environment that we work in, where we live, those chances go up, of course, or they go down depending on those environments that we find ourselves in. So um, I did all, we really don't know how we're going to respond in an event until we find ourselves in it. So we, we can train and we can hope and we can train and train and train some more, but we really don't know how we're going to respond until we find ourselves in that, that event. And thank God the, the cameras were rolling at this club when I heard the shots go off inside the club and, um, the, when we reviewed the cameras, uh, we, we saw me on the camera and I did everything that I trained myself to do. So at that point I had confirmation that, okay, the training is working. Um, I did everything that I trained myself to do. I didn't freak out. I did. I stayed calm and I responded the way that I, I should have responded. Nice. So, well, one of my favorite classes was the one that you and your wife did together was now did that again? Yeah. I think you guys are the only husband and wife lawyer firearms instructor team that I know of period you you might not be but I don't know of any others is that something that just happened organically as well or did you guys plan on that I mean that was that was a really neat experience having her teach the law piece and you teach the gun piece uh, uh concurrently yeah that was um that kind of happened organically also when I became that, that class actually started out as my, my NRA, NRA basic pistol course. Once I, once I got my K license, which is the license that you need to teach armed security guards or law enforcement firearms training. Uh, before that, I was not authorized to interpret law. But once I got my, once I received my K license certification, I was able to interpret the law for the Floridians. But I thought about this. My wife's been an attorney for 22 years. She studies case law. She studies uh, all the ins and outs of how to interpret law, what this actually means, why they wrote it this way. So I, I, I asked her, I said, Hey, would you, would you mind teaching the law portion? Although I can, I can teach it. I don't have the background. It's the same with my, um, it's the same with my TCCC instructor certification, which is the tactical combat casualty care. I, I went to that instructor certification, but I have no business teaching it because I don't have a medical background. So that's why I don't teach it. I, we let the professionals teach that. I wouldn't, I won't be able to give you that experience from that. So I asked her to come in, teach the law portion. And guess what? She gets to tell all these stories about the law, which make that a much better and much more effective course for me. And her portion started out as an hour and uh, it's kind of morphed into about two, two and a half hours now. So, uh, and, and I get that all the time that they love that portion because they get to ask a lawyer the questions that they, they want 
they want well, yeah answer. i mean you know when when we met i had done some firearm stuff on active duty but not a lot so so for me firearms was the kind of like the gray area and i i found that massively informative and you guys also work really well together so it was it was cool to watch as a fellow married guy see you kind of re- like roll with your wife up there and and the way you guys riff off of each other i i really enjoyed it and there's a ton of real useful case law and information in there i don't know that there's anybody else that's teaching the course like that yeah i've never um i haven't seen i see husband and wife um teams but that element of her being a lawyer is is typically missing and typically you get the law from that k license instructor or you know i see a lot of uh you know uh, retired law enforcement officers. And they, of course, they're allowed to interpret the law also. But, you know, having that female aspect and she's a lawyer and she also carries a gun and, and defensive tools, pepper spray and so forth. Um, yeah, it really makes it for a, a, an entertaining class, not just informative. Yeah. We, we have fun together for sure. And you're, you're also not the kind of guy who kind of sits on the sideline and, and, and dictates from the front of class and then doesn't participate. I mean, during the baton, the tech, you, you put the red man suit on and everybody beats the crap out of you. You have, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you, you have been on the receiving end of the pepper spray and the taser or phaser or whatever it is you're using at the time. Yeah. Um, apparently when, yeah. Like, yeah go but, ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, if I don't, if I, no, sorry about that. Yeah, if I don't leave the baton class with bruises, then I haven't done my job effectively. Um, so, well, when, when, uh, I guess you said every taser class has two cartridges that fail on average. And in my class, I got both failure <laughs> yeah. cartridges before I got the one that actually put me on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's I buy the um, they're they're actually it's a training box and there's 25 cartridges in there. Ten percent are duds. So um, I don't know really what I'm getting. Unfortunately, the stress level goes up for you guys because you're going to hear that click and you're going to be like nothing happened. And you're like, oh, man, I was ready for it. And so, of course, you got two duds. And finally, the third was a third time. Third time. Yes, charm, the stress so. level goes up. I'm just glad I didn't have to go to the bathroom because I'm pretty sure I would have done it in my pants by that third round. <clears throat> I, I have never had anybody, um, we'll just say soil themselves, but I will tell you I have my first. I had a female. Um, she just went through the all-in-one class, bless her heart, and um, she she did, she did, we'll just say piddle <sighs> on herself. Um, she, she was pretty embarrassed. But uh, us guys, you know, we hurtled around her and we 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 shuffled her off to the bathroom so she could take care of herself. And all was good. And I'm pretty sure you intentionally I'm, I'm sure you won't admit to this on the show, but I think you pepper sprayed me in my eyeball on purpose, like on the ball of the <laughs> eye. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I can't confirm, but. Uh... Well, as you know, with pepper spray, I was kind of aiming but i do make you look at me and uh once you open the open your eyes um you there's a possibility that you might oh, get something in your eyes. And, and for those of you that have never been tased or pepper sprayed and you if you ever have the choice choose the taser 
the pepper spray is far worse. Yeah, that's the typical response I get. And I use that as a gauge when I ask in class. Of course, you remember I asked, you know, has anybody ever been sprayed before? And the ones that say yes, and they don't immediately uh, immediately get excited and they're like, nope, never again. I question the validity of their answer as being sprayed because typically it's a, nope, never want to do it again. You can tase me all day long. Don't come near me with the pepper spray. It's, it's a very effective. As as would I, I would question the validity at this point as to as well, but you're, so you're, you're kind of, you're being humble. You're also a Krav guy and a Bram Frank. uh, You train the, the, the Bram Frank knife system as well. Right. Well, I don't teach it, but I have, I, I went through Bram Frank's uh, training course. Yes. Um, edge weapon defense, of course, with Bram Frank. Um, I carry a Bram with me. Um, extremely. And of course, um, I'm trying to remember his protege's name, Sonia. And uh, she is just, uh, I'm telling you, if you ever get to fight with her, it it's some impressive, just to watch her how she how she interacts with your movements is phenomenal. Bram of course is incredible himself, but he has really trained up Sonia to to be his true protege. Um extremely effective. And the 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 idea behind the Bram Frank system was for the special forces to it's his system is not designed to kill the indi- individual, although it can. But it's it's to uh disable them in such a way that they can actually gather intel afterwards once they disable them and, and deactivate that person. Um, so that's why I liked his system because it's not all about complete annihilation, elimination of that, that target. Um, they can actually get more information from the person afterwards. And uh, so I, I, en- I enjoyed that. And of course the, the, the go-to martial arts is Krav Maga, um with kurt of course he comes in and and teaches us us krav and um yeah just enjoyable stuff so we're doing a lot of name dropping for people who don't know theo uh is theo beliris the guy who runs ess the 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 bodyguard company that that ray trains for and kurt is the hand-to-hand combat instructor uh for the same company yeah um outstanding training all the way around the, the they really have a, a quality all-in-one program it's gi bill covered and um i've been in martial arts most of my life and i've i still have yet to meet anybody who moves like kurt he's a scary scary man so <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah nobody knows if that's his real name or not so yeah, we just yeah. call him kurt yeah um <laughs> Well, this is kind of the end of we're we're getting towards the end of 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 the meat of the program. If there's a if you have a cool like story or or anecdote that you want to tell, uh, uh, some some situation you got yourself into that's funny and or cool. Um. Well, I mean, I just I would just like to share some information, and I I tell this story in my book. The. In life, when especially when we're starting out in high school, um, you know the difference between being a quitter and quitting. There's a big fat line there, and we can come out of that. 
taking the path of least resistance will keep us from experiencing the things that we need to get us through life. And I tell a story that um, when I was in high school, this is where I learned to be a quitter. Um, in my freshman year, I decided I wanted to, I was a surfer. I decided I wanted to try out for football. I was not a small guy in high school. I was about 175 pounds, 5'11". Uh, so I was a pretty big guy. And so I, I joined the freshman team of, of football. And, um, and when I went out there, the coaches saw something in me, apparently, that they, they felt they needed on varsity. Now, as a ninth grader, anybody that knows anything about high school, there's a big separation gap between freshmen and seniors. And most of your seniors had paid their dues the last three years to make it to a varsity team. Well, the coaches thought it a good idea that we're going to, we're going to bring Ray to a practice um, with the varsity guys. Well, the varsity team, those, those guys did not like that. <laughs> um, Ray was, hadn't paid his dues. He was a ninth grader. Um, I had size behind me and, and speed, but you know how it is the hierarchy of high school. And, um, uh, you know, that, 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 that social violence in football in high school tended to come into play. They let me have it and hit after hit, don't get up hit after hit. You don't belong here hit after hit. And I got, I kept getting up and taking a beating and I finally had had enough and I took my helmet off. I threw it on the ground and I said, you guys can have your football peace out. And that was the beginning of Ray being a quitter. And it took me probably about 30 more years to get that taking the path of least resistance out of my system. Um, you know, you, you've experienced me in a different way that I've, I've eliminated that quitter spirit out of me, but, but I had it at one point and, uh, it took me a long time to get it out of there. And now I don't quit at anything, but you have to decide for yourself, what kind of person are you going to be? And in the security industry, I knew that if I was going to change the way that people thought of security officers, I had to change me first. I had to be the, the change that, that, that I wanted to see in that industry. And that started me on that path of being coming an instructor and teaching you guys and sharing all my knowledge and sharing all of my experiences so that you can, can you can quite possibly eliminate the mistakes that I made and be a better person because we do today what others won't so that we can do tomorrow what others can't. So, so interesting. So there's this moment playing football where you kind of chose the path of the quitter. Where, what, is there a moment where you were like, bag this, I'm done being a quitter. Is there another kind of pivotal moment like that where you, where you change tax? Um, yeah, that actually that, um, well, here a little bit more about my, his, I've already had my heart attack. I've already checked that box. Um, I had a Widowmaker, 95% blockage. And, um, but the reason I'm here today is for situational awareness. 
And it's not just about situational awareness. It's being aware of situations. And I had the telltale signs and the down the pain down the left arm, pain down the back of the neck, and it felt like heartburn. Well, when I got home, I looked at this bottle of baby aspirin on the counter and something told me take two of those. So I did. I didn't ask any questions. I just took two baby aspirin. Well, those two baby aspirin, that heartburn, so-called, or what I thought was heartburn, went away. And I thought to myself, aspirin doesn't affect heartburn that way. And that's when I looked at my wife and I said, I think we might need to go to the hospital. So on the way to the hospital, my wife is freaking out. Um, and I'm actually staying calm because I know that if something is going on, I need to keep my heart rate low. And so I was actually trying to keep her calm and which in turn was keeping me calm. So we get to the, we get to the hospital and um, they said, Oh, well, let's put you on the EKG. And I said, okay. So they put slapped me on the EKG and they said, no, everything looks normal. And then boom, just like that, the pain started coming back and they, the, all the nurses looked at the EKG and they go, Oh my gosh, you're having your heart attack right now. So they all pull out their cell phones and they're taking <laughs> video of my EKG. So I'm, I'm looking around, I'm going, okay, what do we do? And they go, Oh, we already called the doctor. He's on his way. And so I'm like, Oh, okay. So I laid back and just waited for the doctor. He came in, I'm looking at, I'm watching this whole thing on this 80 inch television screen and he throws a stent, runs it up my femoral, opens up the stent, boom. I take a deep breath and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. And he's like, yeah, I just saved your life. Have a good weekend. <laughs> From the time, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. From the time I got to the ER to the time the doctor said, I'm, I'm out of here, 15 wow. minutes. No damage to my heart. Everything was perfectly fine. And and, you know, I, I took a stress test a week later. The doctor says, hey, go back to go back to doing what you were doing before. And I thought about that statement. And I said, if I go back to doing what I was doing before, I'm going to mm. end up on your table again. So that's when I knew I needed to make some changes. And um, the, you know, I'm, I made those changes. Um, I no no heart disease. Well, I'm not going to say heart disease, but no um, history of heart troubles in my family. No high blood pressure. I was active. I was a cyclist. I raced mountain bikes in Germany, too. My second tour there. Um, uh, low blood pressure, low cholesterol. I asked the doctor, well, doc, why did I have a heart attack? Mm. And he goes, stress. Stress. Wow. It's funny because many of the other podcasts have yeah. been about managing trauma, emotional trauma and managing stress and breathing and, and different, different stuff. Because, uh, down in Ecuador, when, when I, we never really talked about this, but when I did the anti-trafficking program, I built this like really Gucci program with psychology and martial arts and knives and all this stuff. And the kids, the kids were totally not nice. interested at all. Right. They did not care. And, and I, I wasn't thinking, right? Like I was thinking like an American, like, you know, they were going to fight off their captors and keep themselves from getting stuffed in the trunk of a car. But I found out that many of them were trafficked by their own families just to make ends meet. Right. 
And and when we were uh, talking, yeah. when I when I finally got to meet some of the kids and work with them, all they wanted to do was, you know, do bars workouts, push ups and pull ups and just talk, just talk everything through, like get it all off their tra- chest and process the trauma. Right. Like they weren't yeah. interested in all the Wang Chung stuff. Right. So it, it so much of it is right. about stress processing right whether you're young and you've been through some super traumatic event or you're you're older and you're just stressing out over you know the bills or whatever yeah yeah the um yeah because here we teach you know never let them take you to another location there their their family's actually handing them over so it's like yeah you know what do i do i just go you know so complete different environments, mentality, mindset. Um, you go to different countries and you, you're going to, you're going to see that stuff. And you, you really kind of have to change the way you have to kind of put yourself. It's the, that be empathetic type of uh, put yourself in their shoes. How would you respond if your family actually sold you to this person? And now yeah, you're, yeah, you're going yeah. with them. One of the you know? other guests, Rich Dimitri, talks a lot about empathy and the need, especially in self-defense situations, to fish for empathy, to determine social versus antisocial violence. But, yeah, in this case, for sure, I mean, empathy right. towards these kids and just understanding their situation. It's so different from a Western, you know, first world perspective to talk to these kids just blew my mind, you know. <clears throat> wow and and what like what did you learn from them that you can bring that you brought back here to the u.s that you could share with well a lot of with, the uh, a lot of, if, you, if you listen to the other episodes a lot of it is me with these other people that i've found that are acknowledging the fact that a lot of self-defense is just upside down we teach 90 percent physical and 10 percent psychological and de-escalation and it's backwards right like right. if you de-escalate properly you don't need the physical stuff so it's it's i've found a group of people in the guests that have been on the podcast that are kind of starting to acknowledge and address this in how they train people and going way the other way and more on psychology and de-escalation and fishing for empathy and and so you know that just from talking to these kids, that's so much more useful, right? Like if, if they could have had the skills, the verbal and psychological skills just to process what was going on and, and talk themselves even into making better choices as opposed to just going along to get along, you know? Um, Yeah. The, that's awesome. That's really good. So it's, it's, it's been an incredible learning process and, and uh, I don't know, I'm the, the whole, the whole program involves all kinds of different stuff surrounding this whole stress issue. So it's interesting that you would bring that up. It seems to be a common thread so far with almost every guest. Wow. Yeah. The, the and that's what he, that's what the doc told me. He said, um, stress actually hardens the arteries um in some cases that it, it's self-induced stress too it's just you know things that we create here's the thing the mind doesn't know the difference between what is actually happening and what is imagined 
You ever woken up from a dream and you're like, oh my gosh, that seems so real. That's exactly the mind actually seeing what it is that you're dreaming about. And it thinks you're actually doing this. And so stress is the same way. When we have anxiety or 99% of the the things that we think, the negative things that we think about Mm -hmm. never come to fruition. Think about that. And that's just stress. It's self-induced stress. We're worrying about things where we're, we have anxiety over this situation or that situation. And guess what? It yeah, never actually sure. happens. Awesome, man. Great, great catching up with you and having you on the show. Hey, this is kind of the point in the show where you can plug your website and your book and whatever else you have going on right before we wrap. So. Rock and roll. I appreciate that big time, Ben. Yeah. Um, my book is almost done. It should be out probably February or March. Um, it's, uh, going to be called better, faster, first. And that is my, my slogan, um, better, faster, first behind that. The meaning behind that is you do not have to be the best. You just have to be better than your opponent. You don't even have to be the fastest. You just have to be faster Mm. than your bad guy. But you always, you always have to be first. And deciding that you're going to be first is decided during peacetime, not in the heat of the battle. Because we all know nobody rises to the occasion. They fall back to their highest level of preparation. Um, my website's 77alpha.com. Um, it is actually in construction right now. So um, we're kind of making some changes. But um, anybody can contact me through ray underscore johnson at 77 alpha.com and um i just appreciate you having me on here yeah, ben, man. Awesome. It's been a so, much, so so i enjoyed it so much you know catching up and, and being able to kind of reminisce about the crazy training and pepper spray and the eyeball and uh i just I, you know i want <laughs> i want the listeners to 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 see you as a resource and be able to draw upon all the knowledge that you've collected so i'm just happy to have you on ray I appreciate the time uh, you having me on here, Ben, man. It's been a pleasure. 